like more independent theatres that are really like stepping up and being like what's up no the civic is great i just love the civic yeah shout out to the civic yeah so to the civic yeah Hello everyone, I'm Kira, and this is Arts Insight. You're listening to Arts Insight again, fair play to you. Um, we're back with another quarantine episode. Um, episode number four, I believe. Very exciting. I have another two-part episode for you. We're delighted. Um, so I have two lovely guests with me today. Um, I have Laura Harton, who is a friend of mine and she is the secretary of TU Players, which is the Trinity Drama Society. My second guest is Michael Barker-Caven, who is the artistic director of the Civic Theatre in Tala. Um, I'm really excited for you to hear these interviews because this episode we kind of wanted to look at the state of the theatre, not the state of it, like, <laughs> but like what theatre is going to be like post-pandemic or what it's like now. So theatre has obviously been really affected by current pandemic so I thought I'd talk to two people who would know what they were talking about basically ask them what the crack is all that kind of fun stuff but before I get into that I want to get you to follow the social media for Arts Insight could you do that for me um, so I have an Instagram arts underscore insight um, then on Twitter I'm arts insight one I do between and on Facebook, just look up Arts Insight and it'll come up. Um, so, you know, very professional. We've got our social medias and I'm, we're kind of thriving, to be honest. But um, yeah, so first part, I'm going to be speaking to Laura Harton. And I really enjoyed this interview. So I hope you enjoy listening to it and I will talk to you after it. Bye. Now, tell me about yourself and how you got involved in theatre. Okay, so I'll set the scene. <laughs> I'm an only child. <laughs> and that's where I, it all began. That is where it begins for like a lot of people, though. It's a lot of like people just being on their own a lot as children, I think, and yeah. kind of having vivid imaginations. And that's what it was like for me, anyway. Like, I, my mom had me, and then went to college, and then went to work. So I was just, I just played on my own a lot. Um, And then she sent me to the school and they were all like shocked because I seemed fine at home, but they were shocked to realize (laughs) I was around other children. I like couldn't function. I wasn't used to being around other kids and I was painfully, painfully shy. Yeah, because when you grow up with just adults, I suppose, I never thought of that. Like like, they thought they, I was running around at home. They were like, she's grand. She seems happy and healthy and then I went to school and my brain like couldn't compute the fact that other children existed (laughs) and I didn't know how to play with them so my mom was like okay I'll knit this in the board because I I couldn't even talk to other kids so she sent me to drama classes which is you're like like, here are all these immature beings (laughs) yeah I was like excuse me I thought there was only one of us and that was me um so yeah it's like I if Listen, if a kid is ever shy, the best, best way, even if you don't like want them to actually pursue drama in any way, speech yeah. and drama classes are so brilliant. They're so, so great for 
like for everything like speech impediment they're really good for building confidence just socializing kids it's such a like yeah. good thing to do when you're younger and it really it, like it teaches you a lot of valuable skills mm. so she's put me in those drama classes and throughout my whole life no matter what I what hobbies I did on a whim whether I was doing now I was never good at sports but like if I had like a brief fling with like gymnastics or whatever I'd always give everything up except for drama yeah I always set that up and then like you knew me in school I really really was I was very directionless and I didn't know what I wanted to do and sixth year was horrible for me and I didn't mm-hmm. even want to think about the CAO yeah um, the only thing I had any interest in ever was drama um so I put down uh I think I had three things on my CAO. I was planning on taking a year out and I put down Trinity drama first and I did the audition and the interview and I did get it. But I also like wasn't planning on going to college that year. Yeah. And then when I got the points, my mom was like, listen, just go, like, just feel it out. It's better. Like if you're going to drop out of a course, you should just go instead of taking that gap year so you can know. Yeah, exactly. If you're not going to like it. So I went... Um, and first year was difficult. It felt like it nearly felt like the start of primary school and secondary school again. I think mm. whenever I'm in a new environment, it's really hard to acclimatize. I, I think people don't like people it. don't really warn you about college and starting and how like difficult it is. It's so hard, at least with secondary school. You're like what a you'd be like twelve. You're, yeah, you're fine with starting again. You're still a kid technically, but when you're like an adult and you've had six years of being in the same place having 100% yeah all your friends college oh I just I think starting college can be such a lonely time and it was for me mm. um, and then it was hard to know how much like it was hard to gauge how much I I liked or didn't like that course yeah because of how I was finding it so di- as well Trinity, I know people talk about this a lot. Trinity can be a really, really alienating place. I mean, if you've watched normal people, you know mm. how you can just feel like no one from our school went to Trinity. Um, and at least I always found like, at least for people who are coming to Trinity from the country with no friends, at least you're staying in like halls or something. You know, Yeah, like you're you on have, campus. like Exactly. Like you have other people you're living with and stuff but when you're from Dublin and no one else is going to like you don't know anyone going to Trinity you kind of just get the bus in mm. you try your best and then you get the bus out again and it, like if you don't force yourself to socialize you won't yeah um, so but my course was a very social course and I found that in the later years like in second year and third year once I got involved in players which is our drama society like that was it for me yeah um, it's like a cult and <laughs> I love it I just I can't once I think you have to throw yourself in mm. and with players and stuff like that like I didn't growing up I did the drama classes but I wasn't like passionate about theatre per se I would just do my exams and stuff but once I got into that players theatre and if you do one thing for someone you'll have 10 people asking you to do something if you stage manage someone's show when you're like first year, let's say, mm. people will clock you and be like, okay, you want to be involved, we'll throw these 10 things at you. And yeah. then all of a sudden you're doing all these jobs and you're learning kind of ad hoc and on the job. And it's it's just so fun because 
the stakes are low yeah. in that theatre and it's a place to learn. And so many people, so many incredible people have come up through that theatre be, being trained by someone who's maybe only a year older than them. But that difference in a year, from second year and third year, you can get someone who learns like a lifetime of lighting design. Do you know but what I mean? It's a place to make connections as well, I'd imagine. Because like if you just go 100%. through the course and don't get involved in anything, it'd be a completely different experience, wouldn't it? It is. And there are, like, I'd say about maybe 5% of people who do my course don't get involved in players. And it's, that was me like in first year. But it's very, like, it's, they say when you do like that drama course in Trinity, you get your degree from Trinity, but you get your experience from players. Yeah. Like you won't, like the degree itself offers you lighting design and directing and stuff like that. But you you don't learn in that classroom setting. The classroom setting is great and we have amazing lectures, but you really learn, like you don't learn directing by being in a safe environment. You learn directing by putting on a show and having to actually deal with the consequences of like, okay, if we didn't do this properly in the rehearsal room, this is going to go up on stage and it's going to bomb and myself and the actors and everyone who put this show up and put so much work into it will have to deal with that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Theatre is very, very scary when you're learning to do theatre. Yeah. And it's kind of like one of those things where you've no choice but to like, to be successful, you have to just put yourself out of your comfort zone really, don't you? You, I don't think you ever, like, I think if you're in your comfort zone, it's just boring. Yeah. Because like, I don't know, a lot of theatre now isn't naturalistic anymore and you don't really see those like just straightforward productions that you used to, like the kind of thing that I guess you'd see in the gate, in like the early gate years when it would just be kind of like nannies going and having a cup of tea and seeing the show. It's not like that anymore. Theatre is like, it's a very political medium nowadays and it's a place to take risks. And I think if you're in your comfort zone, especially nowadays when there are so many things to address, then you're not going to be putting on anything that's worth watching. Yeah, literally. Yeah. But as well, like this whole like pandemic has literally taken everything that theatre is Mm-hmm. and put it on its head like it's yeah it's awful one of my la- I think it was the head of the department in Trinity was like the this virus couldn't have been better equipped to like decimate the theatre industry mm. everything about like liveness and like theatre is about togetherness and experiencing yeah. something live in a space with people that's what theatre is I mean the first question you're asked on the first day of my course is what is theatre and a lot of people just say like there are loads of different definitions, but it it is a live experience like at its core. And it's very, very difficult. A lot of people are trying very hard to do virtual theater and it like, there's a lot of questions about like, you know, liminal space and stuff like that. And if so many people are putting out this work, like onto the internet and are people even watching it and do theaters have um a responsibility to keep making work during this Mm. time this isn't their medium I mean I had to do a lot of assessments and stuff like that basically doing filmmaking yeah you know what I mean and I'm so like you don't 
it's really difficult I'm really bad at like editing and stuff like that because that isn't my medium and I was like is this the kind of thing that I'm going to be graded on from now on it's very very strange yeah because like can they really grade you on that and it's even weird like if you're doing like collaborative projects is that Mm -hmm. even possible like now yeah I think a lot of it is going to be about consent I mean we need to like we need to discuss because in Trinity in your final year um if you're doing directing or devising which is basically directing but you make the show yourself yeah as things go on you get the opportunity to do um a debut show in the Samuel Beckett um and the virus happened like just as the debut shows were wrapping up and I was actually in one that didn't get to like go up in the end and we had to do a socially distanced version of it in like this other space outside the theatre. And it was, it was just very, very odd to try and approach theatre in that way of like, okay, I can't be near my castmates and the audience yeah. can't be near each other and stuff like that. And I do worry about the future of like, not just theatre, but also my course because so much of, about it, it, it's so much is like physical like intimacy and stuff like that. Like just intimacy in the way of like in first and second year, especially you do a lot of like physical work and touching each other. And I don't know, it's very like theaters about bodies on stage and not really having limits to that. So it's very weird to think about like, I don't know, we'll see. I'm doing a socially distanced um, show in August outside which should be interesting oh, really you know that show that you came to see in the rose garden yeah J- Tess, wasn't doing, it yeah Tess. Yeah. we're doing that again but we're oh my gonna, god how are you gonna do that socially distant no i don't know There's so much of it is like like so close together that's the thing but a lot of like that's because that's how humans act and typically yeah. when you're on theater you're trying to imitate real life so I don't know but I suppose you're kind of are imitating what life is like now because even it's so different if you're walking like going for a walk even you see someone coming you like cross the road do you know what I mean it's so unnatural the way yeah we have to act now like I guess if you're gonna the thing about it is you eat you can address it in the like plot or whatever I just I think a lot of theatre now is going to be about coronavirus if that makes sense Mm. because I don't know how else people are going to justify to make sense of it yeah Yeah. um already now like all the kind of virtual work that's being done a lot of it even if it isn't directly about the virus it's a kind of like a lot of like post-apocalyptic and dystopian themes and stuff like that it's very yeah it all feels very end of days. It really does. But even as like a theatre goer, even the experience is going to be completely different. Well, like, yeah, even sitting in a half full theatre, like. Not even, it could be 30%. Like yeah. it's just going to be, it's going to be very, very different. Like if it's not hard enough to be someone working within like the creative industries, it's going to be even more difficult now because mm. Theatres can only operate at 30% capacity, then you're just looking at like this, like sales. I don't know. It, it's, we'll see how it goes. I mean, if pubs can, that's the thing. I mean, I look at like pubs and I look at like airplanes and stuff like that. And I just, you feel so slided yeah. by the fact that like 
people just don't seem to value the creative arts. No. Um, and I know people have talked a lot about like the creative arts getting people through lockdown and people have said, well, if you've been reading books or watching Netflix or, yeah. you know, music or whatever, but I feel like theatre is the medium that's left behind because still, even though we do try and make it accessible, a lot of people look at theatre and think, oh, that's not for me. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people feel like they don't belong in the theatre, which is like, yeah. if they just go, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't feel that way. I know. I, I think it's a valid point, though. I mean, there's still like we've we talk a lot about like my friends and I about, you know, theatre and, and class. And there is still that thing of like yeah. theatre is for a certain kind of person from a certain kind of background. And certainly like if you're talking about a production in The Gate, let's say, especially, that would be more it would be, it's traditionally seen to be more exclusive. And yeah. even when the Abbey tries to be you know, universal and it is our national theatre and they do they do try to platform marginalised voices. Now, I don't know if they are doing that enough. Yeah. But it is still, I don't know, I think it's still um, kind of, inex- it feels inaccessible for a lot of people who aren't directly working within that industry. Like you and I would go to the theatre, but like out of our friends from school, how many... How many of them do you think have ever... Yeah, stepped forward. Like, yeah. It's even kind of reflected in the pricing of different theatres, like how kind of yeah. classist it is, you know? That's why that's why stuff like Fringe is brilliant, but even Fringe in the last few years, like you have like in and around the same time, the Fringe Festival and the Dublin Theatre Festival. And the, the Fringe Festival is supposed to be like the, the outsider's version of the Dublin Theatre Festival it's supposed to be more accessible and even in the last few years fringe prices are kind of echoing Dublin Theatre Festival prices now yeah so it's kind of like I don't know I feel like we set up these accessible spaces and then like over time the mainstream begins to infiltrate them I mean like it's if you want to get political about it it is that kind of thing of like nearly appropriation yeah, spaces because once I mean, especially within creative industries, everyone kind of likes to be to present themselves as an outsider, even if everything that they are is reflective of yeah. the mainstream. Mm-hmm. So I feel like once someone sees this cool, you know, like modern outsider thing, they're like, yeah, let me go and like infiltrate that space. And on one hand, it's great because they're like providing revenue for those theatre makers. But on the other hand, all of a sudden, this space that was supposed to be the answer and the fringe to the mainstream is like getting all this mainstream revenue and then the prices yeah. go up and the people who needed access in the first place don't kind of get to get mm. in there. Yeah, definitely. So, Even, I, I don't know if this is kind of the same thing, but like when my mom, because my mom obviously writes plays, but... Mm-hmm. I remember saying to her, like, would you, because there's groups and stuff you can join that kind of, like, even the Dublin Writers' Centre and stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember saying, you should go, like, because she's, she's quite, um, like, once she gets motivated, she, she, like, is so creative and all this, but then there'll be, like, creative blocks in between. And I thought, like, oh, this could, like, you know, broaden your horizons and all that kind of yeah, thing well those groups are so good yeah like, but, really, once you're around other people who are doing it 
Yeah. Like, but I remember she was like, no, but like, I wouldn't fit in there. Like, and I was like, why? And she was like, cause like, I don't write like that. I don't write really like deep things or really like poetic kind of write. She was like, I just write like Joe Soap stuff. And I was like, but like, it's, they're, they're not for those people. Like they're for everyone. <laughs> I was like, well, like, I think if someone is that, um, like kind of nearly stuck up about their own work, they wouldn't be going to those writers groups in the first place. Like, yeah, that's true. A lot of writers are very, very self-deprecating. I don't know if you find that with your mom, but like mm. the writers I know and like me myself with writing, like I always play down my own work. Yeah. And I think like it can be really intimidating to go into a space where there are other writers because you never, you know, I don't know, I feel for me anyway, I never feel like I can call myself a writer. I have a friend in college who's the same. Like imposter like, syndrome almost. Like Yeah, 100%. And yeah. I'm sure your mom feels the same way. Yeah. But like, I don't know, I feel like those kind of spaces, if you if you have notions about yourself, I don't think you'd be there in the first place. Yeah. But I think like she's never even gone. So I'm like, that's something that's in people's heads that they think, oh, like, like she writes plays, like especially with plays, she thinks, oh no, because like these are the kind of people that are going to be there even if they're not that's the notion that people have you know it's so sad though because even like we did a panel in players with just female writers and we were I think it was um was it Sinead Moriarty and the novelist who was talking we were asking how she like got into writing and she was like I just started going to um a writing group and once you go to a group you get like you have to bring something every week yeah so it motivates it's a motivating you. thing and seeing other people and being like you're never more inspired than when you're hearing other people's work that's why I thought it would be so good like to like exactly yeah you know like because even Jordan's sister goes to one and she says you go and you're given I think half an hour or something to write something mm-hmm. and you have the choice to write that but you can bring something so- else you've written yeah once you're there and you're in the room and they say like start free writing go like you think that what you're writing is such shite but like like that's when you get some of the best stuff out of you because you just yeah I don't know you kind of like release your inhibitions and you're like okay well I'm just gonna write this and I don't care if it's crap whereas if you're at home there's no pressure like yeah if you're just sitting at the laptop and thinking like I feel like you just overanalyze hmm a lot of the time and once someone just says okay go right then I don't know it's just it's a lot easier to just kind of like let it all spill out onto the page I've never been to a like writing group outside of college but it's definitely something I'd like to do like Tegan's at the Dublin Writer Centre is amazing like it's so good where is it it's just I think it's up by the Hugh Lane as far as I know Mm -hmm. interesting Mm. Do you think after this, sorry, go on. No, there's just a lot of like resources and stuff that I haven't even explored because I'm not, because I'm still in college and it's such You're a You're too busy, yeah, as well. Like you have so much going yeah, on Yeah, but college. once I leave, like I'm going to need all of those. I'm going to need like a list. <laughs> that's I even, know. that's what I'm like now. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a course in the Dublin, like, what is it? Like the Gaiety School of Acting. I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. And then I'll do something else just so I don't have to like face reality. Yeah, 100%, like all the qualifications you can possibly get, all the like, because yeah. like, I feel like once you, 
I don't know. I think education is a mentality sometimes. Yeah. And once you leave education, like that's when it gets real. Mm. I'm not ready. I think I'll just be a student until I'm like 40. I'm just going to fuck off my own for a bit. Yeah. Um, Do you think after all this, though, do you think there's going to be like so many scripts, but no like follow through? Mm, Do you mean so many scripts like that have come from like writers just kind of being inside Um, and then no follow through as in like, we're not going to have to be able to put them on. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think, well, one thing I will say is I think a lot of writers now are writing for the medium that they're going to have, if that makes sense. So yeah, true. Yeah. A lot of writers are like writing socially distanced scripts now that we'll be able to put on because once you give a writer limitations usually they'll be able to adhere to it like yeah we're so used to doing rewrites for you know specific situations and hearing no's that I think like out of everyone in within theater writers are like like sometimes writers can be very um difficult with their work and not willing to change but a lot of writers can acclimatize yeah and kind of and hopefully that's what they're doing because it god it would be such a shame if people were writing like their magnum <laughs> lockdown and then they couldn't even put it on i know what a disaster yeah, i would i am radio ang- and stuff sorry you could do like even radio drama like that's what we're doing in players at the moment like there are there are ways around it yeah I, once you get over the initial like like i guess hit of the whole pandemic and once you get over your expectations I think with anything in life once you just kind of like say okay things aren't going to be the way I thought they were but they can be this other way you know but there's so many like yeah no you're dead right but I think like there's so many even I was speaking to some um a woman who runs a company and she said we didn't have anything in place for this to happen we didn't have anything online nothing but like people are being forced to and they have to, and they are. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like considering how much of a like shit show, like, pardon the pun, like, is for theater. Like, it's adapted pretty well so far. I think so. Yeah. Like, you know, I think if you're forced to adapt, you will. Mm. Um, And I think this, like, because I know a lot of people are talking about a second wave and yes, the theatre industry wasn't prepared, but hopefully, like a lot of different industries and hopefully like our, like government bodies will be more prepared for when there is a second wave. Yeah. Because it was like initially, I I think everyone, like no one knew how serious it would be and a lot of the things that we were talking about were very flimsy we were like okay we'll just do like socially distance performances and we'll just do this and we'll just do that and then it's like it hit us that it was actually a real pandemic and now yeah. that we're kind of like past the idealism of like oh it'll be fine I think now that we've accepted it if it happens again or when it happens again which a lot of people would say um, we'll be more prepared yeah like even that festival he's put on like was yeah. yeah that was like well that was like as well um the committee that I'm on at the moment the players committee we had just been elected before lockdown happened and 
Like, <laughs> I hate that. It was, it was so, it was so sad because we were so ready. Like you yeah. have to, like when you're elected, you have to put forward like all the things you want to do for the year. And we were just like very like starry eyed and ready to go. And when all of this happened, like initially it was very disheartening, but I guess like again it's all about adaptation and stuff like that and we were like no like Summerfest is something that's happened in players for years it happens at the end of May start of June and it's when we do our most ambitious shows and we take over Trinity Campus and we get speakers in and it would it would have been such a waste not to do that yeah this year so we just we just did it in a different way I guess and we did a fully virtual theatre festival and was it ideal no but we got like a lot of work in and we got people in to speak to us and it was just I don't know it was very inspiring to see people again adapt come together and yeah we were scared people wouldn't submit work at all but we got I think it was 61 um like uh, exhibition pieces and then 27 like longer theater pieces unreal yeah it was it was really great to see and so much work from the first years as well yeah um, which was incredible because like you think your first year in college studying theater and this happens it's so you're like fuck <laughs> yeah, like, you're like I'm starting this degree in this field that could be decimated in the next couple of years Mm. So it's good to see people being hopeful still. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a really nice time and we finished up for the summer now, but like I think we showed everyone what we can do and what like I mean we had people from the Abbey, representatives from the Abbey come and speak to us and say, like, you're doing such an amazing job. We had loads of like there are so many people who've come up through players that came back to speak to us during Garhi. James Patrice, Jim Cullerton was the chair of players, uh, the artistic director for Fish Amble. He came in and spoke to us, Emma Kerwin. Mm. And they all just, like, it was just, we had a lot of, we did this series called Creators in Quarantine and we just had a lot of, like, really interesting conversations about, I suppose, like, mental health and stuff like that when you're a creative and you're at home and mm. you're trying to still, because, I mean, a lot of creative people, um, I think suffer with mental health issues and their creative outlet is a lot of the time therapeutic for them. Yeah. Um, I definitely find that with myself and like it's very difficult because in theatre especially it's 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 all about being with other people and a lot of the time that's what's good for your mental health Yeah, is to be around other people and all of a sudden you're in this like very isolated environment and you're I think there can be a pressure to be creative definitely but also once you do say okay well this is my situation now how can I continue to work that can be what saves you and that's what saved me over lockdown is doing work in players yeah it's nearly like even I found when I was still at college work to do especially at the start when it's so like up in the air it's just having something that you need to be doing like Definitely. being like, okay, grand, I have like a purpose. Do you know what I mean? To be able to like put something in your planner for the day even. Yeah. 
like I found once I was scheduling my days because if I didn't like even now with everything over not scheduling days anymore is like because we are I know lockdown is like technically over and we're allowed to do things but it's still not we're still not back to normal and we're no. not going to be normal for a long time and mm. um, so I still find like if I don't say like in the evening okay this is what I'm going to do tomorrow I find like the day just kind of it gets away from you yeah and that can be really like that can be really bad for your mental health 100 percent, yeah depressing if you have like a run of those kind of days Mm. so yeah it was nearly easier when I had college work yeah (laughs) well listen thank you so much thank you so much I love you I love you too listen have a glorious day yeah have a brilliant day it's only the beginning for me today Uh, oh Now, so for the second part of this episode, I'm going to be talking to Michael Barker-Caven, the Artistic Director of The Civic. Um, we start off talking about a bit about himself, what The Civic's up to, what way they're going to be working when they come back. And we went off on a few tangents, but listen, it's allowed. Do you know, give them the state of things. So before I get into this next bit, I just want to point out we had some um, audio issues with this um, interview. There's just a slight like kind of tapping noise during the interview. Obviously, we're like still not able to go back into the studio. So the recording situation is not ideal. But if you can, please bear with us because this it was a really good interview with Michael and he had some like really interesting perspectives and stuff to say. So yeah, hopefully you can bear with us and please enjoy this interview. On this laptop, just it suddenly just dips and then oh. comes back. I don't know how that's going to work for you. So I can just, if I don't hear what you're saying, I'll ask you to say it again. What? <laughs> what was that? What was that? So you. thanks, Mel, again for joining me. Um, so if you want to just tell me a bit about yourself first, just to put a bit of context. Right, already. Just go straight in. <laughs> No messing. I'm Michael Barker-Caven. I'm the artistic director of the Civic Theatre in town. I've been here for the last four years. And I um, I joined 2016, but I've been in this uh, uh, fascinatingly bizarre business for too long to mention. And uh, started out really as an actor many, many years ago and then um, ended up after a long time developing into into director, which is what I really spent most of my life doing. So I ran a theatre company called The Theatre Works for 10 years, which I set up here. And um, then I ended up being asked to direct here, there and everywhere. And um, mostly theatre for most years. And then towards the end, for the last of 10 years of that, I was also directing a lot of opera. So I've probably directed about 60 shows over the, over the length of my career. And... Um, also moved on to become the artistic director of the Everman in Cork before coming to Tower. So it's been a busy life. It sounds amazing. Um, so how has the last couple of months been for the Civic? Because um, I know it was meant to be a big year. It was meant to be the 21st. The, the Civic has finally come of age, yes. 
finally come of age, finally grew, grew up, and then along came life, and everything has changed. So, like for everybody else, it's been not only obviously an immense shock to the system, it's been an immense challenge on many levels. Uh, we had to obviously follow all of the um, stipulated regulations, and we closed down in the middle of March, and we haven't as yet reopened, um, although we're in that process of working through how we can reopen. It's our hope and intention to try and reopen because, as you say, this was going to be another very, uh, hopefully, very, very demanding but successful year for us in terms of we've been building a lot of big momentum over the last few years, uh, developing a lot of our work to work very closely with uh, the community in Tala. We're very proud of our locality um, where we are fundamentally there to serve and to represent uh, the entire community in South Dublin County and uh, we wear that with pride on our sleeve and we were increasingly uh, working on lots of projects with local artists, local community groups, um, plus of course a whole range of uh, partners who'd come and work with us, a lot of local dance schools, a lot of youth groups, and um, right through to our immensely successful pantomime, which is, you know, one of the highlights for every one of the, of the year, which we now produce ourselves and has produced an extraordinary culture of um, a large group of wonderful artists and local uh, dancers, kids who take part each year and grow through it like our summer camp, the same, and um, you know that always fin finishes our year with a huge bang, and it broke our heart quite early on to actually have to realize we, we wouldn't be able to produce a pantomime this year. So everything has been really about tearing things apart and deciding what we can't do rather than what we can do. Mm -hmm. um, we've obviously also had to survive this, and we are still, like everybody else, trying to survive this because there are many elements to this whole um, disaster and one element of it is economic and that I think for many people has yet really hit home that obviously the levels of unemployment yeah. have come up dramatically and will continue probably to do so. So many small businesses have gone to the wall because of the impossibility for them to trade during this period and the costs and we're really uh, aware of that in our local community that that's going to be a devastating impact and I think there is a good chance that this whole situation is going to go on in this form certainly for the foreseeable future in some form or other its impact from vis-a-vis -vis the regulations I don't think they're going to go away for the short term at least and um, a lot of the the really bad impact of that still to come and obviously it's impacted people's confidence it's impacted people's um, Creativity as well, I suppose. Creativity has been you know, obviously collapsed. Every single sector, you know, right from the beginning when this this happened, you know, the, every sector and the arts was different. Found itself in a in an extraordinarily traumatic situation. We we recognised instantly that artists, uh, performing artists, uh, theatre practitioners, singers, dancers, you name it, they have always lived in a kind of hinterland world where they depend on their passion and they depend yeah. on many things just to keep their head above water and artists in this uh, in this industry the vast majority of them live below the poverty line many of them they have huge insecurity about work 
it's short term. They never know often when the next one's going to come round, or they're going to have feast and famine. Um, very hard for them to get mortgages. Very hard for them to to sustain an economic life. But it's something that obviously people want to do passionately, and people, you know, really love the fact that they're there for them and they come and that wonderful community sense yeah. is one of the I know keeps so many people going and when you take that away from people's lives it's very difficult right from the beginning we knew that our, our group of uh, you know our industry was going to suffer very badly in this and so we launched a, um, a support fund which asked people to donate to support and we had an amazing response and rose uh, raised 50,000 uh, which we were able to distribute in small grants to help people through immediate. Yeah, that was amazing, especially how quick you did that. Was... Well, I think the team, the team were amazing, and they decided, they recognized early on, as I did, that this was going to have a very traumatic impact on people's livelihoods in our area, in our sector, and so it was important to try and do something. And it was a, a great idea, but it was a simple idea, which was just to to try and raise a bit of money and see if we could distribute it to people in need. And um, we were kind of overwhelmed by the number of people who instantly crossed the whole range of um, of life, just said, yeah, this, giving 10 euro, 20 euro. And it went on and on. Um, and we were able to give out that money very, very quickly as well. So, yeah, yeah. but it was a drop in the ocean. And the long-term impacts now, you know, obviously there's, a lot of wage wage subsidies, so you know, COVID payments going on. But how long would that keeps them going? And I think yeah. eventually, maybe later in this year or earlier than we would like, those are likely to be phased out, and that's going to start really biting. The regulations are so extreme about how you can reopen a business. Um, lots of people I know are waiting, are waiting, or just not going to do it at all because they know that economically it makes no sense. I mean, even for ourselves. You know, it just makes, in logical terms, it makes no, it can can make no sense because we've got to reduce our capacity in our main theatre down from over 300 to about 90. Um, And what's that experience going to be like? A world that's become more and more plastic. People have more and more distance, less and less contact. Uh, You know, obviously... There's some pros in all of the social media world and the online activities, but at the same time, humans are humans and they need social, personal contact with other humans. Yeah. I was speaking to another girl who is doing, she's gone into her final year of theatre in Trinity and she was saying she doesn't know how it's going to work because th- that's what, to her, that's what theatre is. It's the intimacy of it all and it's the human experience and interaction. So it is quite, I think, like a worrying time for a theatre, especially because it hasn't really opened back up yet, you know. And also for audiences, I mean, they, they've, been, they've been informed that it's now dangerous to be near other people. And the fundamental experience in a live performance is that you share yeah. the space with other people in confidence and enjoyment and in trust with each other. And that that whole social experience of community is actually the electricity of, of, of the whole event. And it's what makes it something that people come back to because they, they need that and they it enriches their lives and they get something from that shared experience. When you start distancing people, you know, one, two meters apart, which is sounds nothing, but actually it's huge in the yeah. space. It's just suddenly like the whole place is full of holes. <laughs> and also the limitations, it's now... 
it's very complicated to put a piece of work together of anything. You know, you can just about allow one person to sit on a stool and hardly breathe and speak mm. quietly. You know, that's not what it's about. It's no. often about at its best. It's about relationships and different people and people dancing and moving and all of that action and can't do most of it now. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be really, really challenging, even going back to any kind of work. It's going mm. to be challenging for people. So what's the civics plan now going forward in the near future? Um, well, we have, to follow, yeah, we have to follow the kind of stipulated pathway, which is we first of all have had to get the building ready for what's called being a workplace. And that means that essential people can go back and work in the building uh, in small numbers. And so we've been doing that. And now we're moving to the stage where we're going to, we, we have to follow the kind of way it can work. So the first stage is we have a number of associate artists, uh, companies that work with us, and we'll invite them back into the building um, to start prepping how they can start making work and, um, and exploring their own um, ways of coming up with something in this environment. And then we hope to bring community groups and community representatives back in that's the next stage to work with them on some of these projects so we can test each of these is about really testing how safe our protocols are and making sure that everything goes according to plan and so we have to do this quite slowly and then after that in the autumn we're going to test um, a few a small number of very attractive but paired back events that will finally be for the audience to come back in and see how they respond. We don't know how people are going to respond either until we do it. Yeah. You know, a lot of restaurants, for example, that have tried to open have found that people have not actually come back in large numbers yet. Even to the low numbers they're allowed yeah. to operate on, people are still, well, you can not surprise people are kind of waiting and saying, I'll see how it goes. They're fine about going outside and into big department stores, you know, shops and going down to the beach or whatever. But yeah space you know a smallish space mm. like a restaurant or even a theater like ours people may take a little bit more time to find that confidence and desire back mm. theater is nearly going to have to incorporate this new normal because otherwise it doesn't make sense for like them to be acting that way do you know what i mean it just goes against any kind of sense you make of it in your mind you know i mean some there is some part of me Kira, that just thinks we should shut down no. Good. Whatever. Put it. Not. Not. Not the civic. No, I'm going. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. Almost, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying that almost a logic was that trying to do the impossible will only make things worse in the long term. Mm. And is there a you know that actually just waiting for some proof that we can go back to if we ever can that old normal? Because you're right. You cannot do creative performance to these set of rules in any meaningful way. Mm. You know, the whole point about the way um, actors have to work and the work gets made is that you have to create an enormous amount of risk. You have to create an enormous amount yeah. of trust. You have to create an enormous amount of um, courage. It takes a lot of actually courage and active courage to go into a place. Even as a trained actor, every actor who's ever lived will always say that it never gets easier. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. you have to start. There's nothing every time. Most people, you know, in their jobs after a while, they know what they're doing, and it's the same. And yeah, that 
little things happen, but essentially... Universe is never the same, really, is it? Never the same. (laughs) You're never working with the same people. It's always start again, start again. And and that whole atmosphere is quite rare and it's unique in lots of ways and it produces at its best some incredible results. But it can't be done with two hands tied behind your back, a blindfold on, kneeling on the floor with your head in a bucket. I mean, Mm. nothing's going to come out of that. That's in a sense where we are. So, you know, I don't know. I'd be worried for people who think they need to, you've got to adapt. You know, obviously that's part of life. But if you adapt too far, you actually destroy the thing that you're actually meant or want. It's a fine line really, isn't it? Even though a lot of people in our sector think of digital online artwork as being not theatre, you know, it's it does, it's not to replace it. It's yeah. not something. It's not an either or. It's an additional potential, and particularly for an artist to learn a whole new set of skills in the right environment that suits what they're doing. You know, it's, it's like a branch of it, really, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. It's just another form of expression. It just happens to be done through a different medium, which is you know online and. The, internet but that doesn't make it lesser it just makes it different yeah and and there is huge potential there but we strangely enough of you know here in ireland we're way behind the curve you know that's been going on in a lot of countries now for a decade and they've quite a huge online industry with real investment going into it it creates lots of work for artists it actually produces a revenue stream if properly done that actually supports their other work and helps them actually economically live Mm. which is never a bad idea (laughs) no Um, and so that's something i'm really interested in exploring more yeah and i think it has it's it's, in some ways it has been an opportunity hasn't it to kind of explore these areas of not just theater in general that people wouldn't have explored before but it's just now the challenge is kind of okay how do we kind of find a balance between the two we're still so in the middle of this that we can't yet quite see we obviously can't quite see the full implications of it yet it hasn't fully played out there may be you know we may be in act one scene six of a five act play for all we know we're not sure yet we have to work within a new paradigm and therefore we have to be creative about it and that's one of the great things about people in this industry is that once they put their mind to it they are phenomenal at coming up with solutions. If anyone can do it, it's creative. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the creativity that will actually get us out of this mess. Yeah. The smarter artists will recognize that this shift means that they need to think in a bigger way than they've maybe even done before about the purpose of their work and that we have a role to play, as always, in framing stories for people and work for people that make sense of their world that actually those who think about the wide, fat reality of what's going on and not just talk about their own experience in it, that's always important, but actually try and look outside their own box, will begin to find a really response because people... I think one of the interesting, potentially interesting things to come out of this horror story is that an awful lot of people have obviously had a big shock and it's made people in all kinds of ways, question lots of things that they took for granted before. Definitely. And I think that people want or are hungry for not answers, because how can you give an answer to any 
complex thing like this, but to at least raise the questions about what is the meaning of their life in a world like this. Mm -hmm. And if you end up losing belief in the old ways and the old certainties, there's a vacuum there in which people are willing to explore fresh ideas and fresh ways of thinking because there's a hunger in people for something. And often that's come down to really deep human feelings about, oh God, when you lose all that capacity for things you took for granted about intimacy and about proximity and about relationship, suddenly you realize how important they are to you. Mm. Suddenly you realize that there's a meaning in life that's not just about how fast you can run and how much money you've got and who's got a bit of holiday than you and all of that stuff that, you know, and, and, and all the noise that's pumped in through the media to us. The people have, want to go back to some really profound, basic human ideas about why we live. Back in my day, <laughs> you'd wonder no. though, would this, like, if this situation had have happened before the internet, I think it would be such a different experience too. People are kind of even theatre and stuff online and other creativity online. Like, would we have just been like in a creativeless world <laughs> where like we're stuck, we're really stuck with our families now? <laughs> yeah, human societies have dealt with what people call pandemics before. It just is the time beginning of time. And you can go back, for example, to the time of Shakespeare when they had really what you'd call a really worrying pandemic called the bubonic plague. And that used to come regularly. And and that would obviously be completely terrifying and devastating. And all the theatres shut down for the whole length of time, might be a year and a half. But at the same time, creativity was still going on. I mean, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the height of the plague, you know what I mean? Um, and and I think also, the, the thing about, as I say, the shadow side of things like the internet is, and too much information and all of that bombardment, it makes people very fragile. Mm. Um, and, and we're told every day to basically panic. And that impacts on very sensitive human systems. And we start to go, yeah, panic, panic, panic. And, um, and we, 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 we can overreact to the level of, of actual threat in our lives and because we're being conditioned to do that. And that ends up getting leading to more problems than solutions, you know, and, and we come back to the health of people. All of this isolation, you know, all of this pent-up uh, fear and anger and emotion, you know, there's going to be a wave, I'm afraid, of health problems come out of this. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that has long-term impact. And also the cohesion of families and communities are going to be very badly damaged by this. Um, and I think we'll be picking up those pieces. And of course, nobody's going to be bothered about that, you know, in the sense that we'll all just have to deal with it, yeah. i.e. local yeah. communities. And that comes back to why it's so important for us eventually in some way to get back to functioning activity for our local community because we need to be able to offer them a a space they can come to and talk about these things or mm. just also switch off from it. Like theatre is about escape. 
Do you know? Um, theater is good for your mental health, and, it, mm -hmm. and especially when you share it with other people and you laugh together and you sing together, you dance together. You know, all those kind of things are so important, and that's what we want to be able to offer to people again. You know, a small but necessary escape from what's going on outside. Yeah. And so, but, you know, that's what we're struggling to try and get back to. So it'll be a while before people can come see shows. I'm hoping that we will have, you know, we can't firmly plan at the moment because like one of the things we've learned is everything you plan, it changes the next day. Mm -hmm. And you actually get really stressed because you're constantly making and breaking things that never even happen. So I'm, we're slowly working towards a plan for three or four events that will probably run for like a week, which will give people different nights they can choose to come on to see the same show. Um, and things, I want to give people things that will make them feel comforted, make them feel, oh, I'd love to see that again, or I'd love to share that with my family when I saw it. So, mm -hmm. you know, pieces that will help people across the door. You know, at the short term, it's not going to be about wild and experimental work, I'm afraid. It'll be more about giving people com confidence that at least that part of the journey will be worth the journey. Because they'll that's know what people need now, really, though, isn't it? People come to our world because it's different and it's exciting and it offers them lots of rich ingredients. But they also do come, all the research shows, for their own social reasons. They come because it's a night out. They come because mm -hmm. it's they're going to meet their friends and they're going to share a glass, you know, a drink together and have a laugh and going to have a good chat and they're going to have a, you know, uh, feel the buzz of everybody around them. It's not just the show they go to see, yeah. And that is something rich, which is why when they'll go along and they say, well, I didn't really like it that much or I like, but they come back again because they know that's the experience. Sometimes it sounds so bad, but like, because me and my mom go to theatre together, that's like our thing. And we even nearly prefer when we're not mad about a show because it's like, it's really something, have a good gossip about it. Yeah, it's something to talk about either. Like if you just come out going, yeah, that was good. Or is it like, oh, I wasn't mad on how this happened or this. Do you know, it nearly like is part of, you need to go to bad shows or not bad shows, like shows that you aren't. Ah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to yeah, name but... the shows here. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just the experience of it. It helps you realize what you do and don't like, what you think about life, what you agree with, what you don't. That's mm -hmm. really priceless because it gives you that opportunity, especially when you're with other people to discuss that, to share it, to listen to others, to disagree. All of that's really healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes down to the idea that when they come through the door, they've got to be temperature checked. When they, if somebody's slightly this, they have to be taken off to another room. Mm. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, they can't be cues. You can't have groups of people milling around in the foyer, you know, all these you can't. And I'm going to have to admit, from my point of view, if I was... You know, if I was sort of a regular goer, I would be saying, do I want to do that? And I don't want to put my audience off, ladies and gentlemen, but I, I'd say, do I actually want to go through that just to see a show and a show that's almost certainly had to be kind of shrunk down as well? Yeah. So that the whole experience is just less than. But that depends on how much value we can generate. And the great thing about the Civic I think is that we've always built, based ourselves on the idea of welcome. We're a really personable we, by nature organization. The team are amazing and the way they, they, they work with our audiences. They know so many of them personally. They care about their lives. 
there's a sense of family. It deeply matters to us, that word. And so we hope that despite everything, we will still be able to produce that atmosphere. And that Keeping it like a warm, that, inviting hopefully. place, totally. even when it has we to be cold and sterile. <laughs> exactly. We will, we will try and just accept and do the cold bit that we all have to do, but we will try and do it in a really warm way. Mm-hmm. So that, and everybody who comes through our door, I mean, I know we can't, we'd almost hug them anyway. You know, straight away, like, hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you, know, you made it, come in. <laughs> you know, I mean, one of our little, you know, you know, we all have, the, you know, one of our little taglines, and it's meaningful for us, you know, it's come on in. You know, we want yeah, to make yeah. that, again, a place where you can come on in and feel at home. Are, are you uh, back in the Civic? No, nope, oh, back right. in four months. Four months? Four months, it's nearly four months now, yeah. My God, it's after flying in though, hasn't it? Weird, because it feels like it's... It's, it's endless, and yet I can't believe it's four months. It's weird. I know. It's like the longest time ever, but it's like, oh, God, it's July. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. No, I know. But we've a long way to go. Mm. Right, well, I'll see you soon. See you soon. Thanks a million. See no you later, problem. Michael. So yeah, Shanae, thanks a mil for listening. That sounded sarcastic. I'm genuinely not sarcastic. Thank you for listening. Um, do us a favour and share. Tell your friends. Um, definitely follow the social medias, like I said. Arts underscore insight on Instagram. Arts insight one on Twitter. And arts insight on Facebook. Um, I'll be tweeting, I'll be posting, I'll be doing all the bits. Um... And yeah, I'd love if you could follow me. Do you know, talk to me. I need friends during this quarantine times. Um, no, thanks a million for listening. And thank you very much to my guests who took the time to chat with me at ungodly hours in the morning. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So I will see you next time. Bye. Arts Insight is recorded, edited and produced by Jerry Horn of Contact Studio. Contact Studio is a South Dublin County Arts Office initiative.